Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. All right. Hey, let's get ready to dive into our word now because I'm actually going to keep talking about prayer and fasting. So I'm going to ask you for a few moments, one more time to stand up to your feet. It's just my custom as we read the word of God to do that and standing. And we're going to dive into our message today. Now we're beginning a brand new teaching series that we are calling Revival. Can y'all say that? Can y'all say Revival? A little louder like you had breakfast today. All right. Revival. And I'm excited to teach on it. We're going to be in this lane for all of the month. It's actually our theme for the year. So this is going to be our overarching theme for the year. But, but the reason we landed here is I believe that God is getting ready to send an incredible move to our city. I believe that God's going to send an incredible move to our state and to our country. I really do. And I did not want to be a spectator of revival. I wanted to be a participator of revival. So we here at Lighthouse Church, we're leaning into what God's going to do. And we want to be a part of what God's going to do. How many believe in that God's going to do incredible things? How many believe in 2023 to be an incredible year? I hope you believe it. Because if I mean, you don't believe it, then you're kind of already starting at a deficit. But if you believe it, we're going to lean in. And we're just going to trust and believe that God's going to do incredible things. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So go with me to the book of Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read a whole bunch of verses, but then I'm going to sit you down and we're going to dive in. So let's begin at verse 14 of Mark 9. And it says this, when they came to the other disciples, and the they here, just so you know who we're talking about, when Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Jesus took three of his close guys, Peter, James, and John, and they went up to go and pray. So when they came down, this is where it picks up. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Now Jesus is asking, what are you arguing with them about? The man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought to you my son. He's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. Kind of like a toddler throwing a tantrum in Costco. You ever seen that happen where a toddler is like, like that? And, and it's like, you, you know what you really want to do if it's ever been your kid. And it's like, man, you're lucky we're in public because I can't do to you what I really want to do to you. But it's like, it's like the kid gets rigid. But this one is actually spiritual. So that the father says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So Jesus replies, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, notice it's the spirit, not the boy. When the spirit in the boy, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Notice that. The spirit that was in him was trying to kill the kid. It was a suicidal spirit. And that suicidal spirit is alive right now. 
because the rate of suicide is higher than it has ever been since the start of the pandemic. And the rate of suicide is higher in young men than it's ever been. At any other time in history, young men, there's, there's a book that I've been reading through. It's called The Boy Crisis. It's, it's thick, so I've been reading through it. This is not like done in a month book. But it's addressing the alarming rates of suicide in young men. And so this spirit was alive then and it's alive now. And it says it's often thrown him into fire or water trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I like the way Jesus gets right here because he gets a little sassy. He goes, if you can. He's like, you know who you're talking to? If I can do anything, you know. And he says, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. But help me to overcome my unbelief. So when Jesus saw that a crowd was beginning to run to the scene, they all come running. All, here come all the gossipers, right? And the Spanish, they call it the Metichis. They're all running. Oh, what's happening? What's happening now? You know, they all want to know. All the looky-loos rubbernecking. The Bible says that he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately. I like how the disciples ask him private. You know, they, they, they want discretion. They don't want to be singled out in front of everyone. They asked Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? It's an honest question. It's a fair question. Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now, I also included the King James Version. So we can read it in the Queen's English, and it says, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought that I am calling the seeds of revival. The seeds of revival. Let's pray one more time, and then we're going to be seated. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. It is anointed. It is life. And it is going to speak to us today. And God, I just pray that as I'm communicating to this crowd that you would individually and uniquely speak to every person that is here. I pray that your Holy Spirit impress a word on everyone so that we would have, so that we would leave this place saying we have heard from our Father. Let your presence be felt all throughout this day and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time and you may be seated. Let's talk about the seeds of revival. How many of you grew up in the church? Where are all my church kids at? Make some noise. Where's everyone that grew up sleeping under the pew? Now, for those of you that are like, that wasn't me, don't worry. You don't know the punchline yet. You don't, you don't know the punchline yet, okay? You're safe. But uh, for all the church kids here, how many know that as you got older, there's probably some things that you were taught in the church that you had to go and unlearn? How many of you had to unlearn some things? Like your Sunday school teacher, she, made, she meant her best. She did a great job, but, but that woman, she got it wrong. You know, you, just, you learn some things, and you were just like, uh, you got older, you're like, that's not really true. That's not really true. Let me, let me pick on one, because, again, I come from the Pentecostal holiness movement where everything was a sin. And so they, they told us, they said, going to the movies is a sin. You cannot go to the theater. Bad sin. God don't love it and won't love you if you do that. that that's what I was taught growing up. You cannot go to the theater. Now, 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 listen to me. There are some movies that you absolutely should not watch. Should not watch it at all as a Jesus follower. Do not watch it at home in the theater, like much less at home. You know what I'm saying? Like don't be bringing that mess into your house, you know? But don't be watching that stuff. But they would say, well, we'll wait till the movie is out of the theater and then we'll watch it at the house. I was like, what? 
So you just can't go to the theater. No, can't go to the theater. But it's okay at the house. Yes, it's okay at the house. I never got that. I never understood that. And, and then I remember, you see, I'm old enough to remember when the Passion of Christ came out. Do y'all remember when the Passion of Christ came out? If you're like, what is that? It's a Christian movie all about Jesus. And the church was all conflicted. We were all messed up because we had said going to the theater is a sin. And then they put a Jesus movie on the theater and the pastors are like, yeah, you still can't go. What? But it's like, it's literally a movie about Jesus. And I remember this being like a little tense, you know, in the church. What are we going to do? So some pastors, they collaborated. They got all brilliant or so. They thought, so here's what we do. Since you can't go to the movie, what we're going to do is we're going to get a bootleg black market version of The Passion of the Christ. We're going to get an illegal copy, set up a projector in the kitchen of the church. We're going to have popcorn. And you come watch it. We're going to bring the movies to you, right? Again, one of those things where I was like, really? Like, like, this is okay, though? Like, you just broke privacy laws, but this is okay? That's what I mean. Sometimes we are, we are taught things that we have to go and just unlearn and just learn for ourselves. And, you know, that's really what I want to talk about when we talk about revival because growing up in the church, we were taught that revival was an event. I don't know what I'm talking about. Where are my church kids at? Like, revival was an event. Typically, it was like a three- or a four-night event, and the evangelist would come into town. He'd show up in an RV. He'd park that bad boy in the church parking lot, live out of the church parking lot for three days. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like, what's going on? Oh, we're in revival. The evangelist is here. And typically, we'd have worship leaders and choirs, and emotions ran high. And, 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 and they were great times. Typically, there were a lot of healings, a lot of salvations. It was just a great time but we were taught that's revival. We were taught that, that right there, that's revival. And, and we were taught revival is an event. But you have to go and unlearn some things, and that's what we're going to do together over the month is revival is not an event. Actually defined, revival is to make alive again. For those of you taking notes, that's the first thing you want to write there. What is revival? Revival is to make alive again. Alive again. So, so growing up, when they said we're having a revival, it was really just great church programming. I mean, great programming, great speaker, great worship. But, but truthfully, when you look at the scriptures and we see what is revival, revival was always bringing something from death to life. So, so if it ain't dead, it's not a revival. It's a renewal maybe, but it's really not revival. And, and I think God does want to revive more things in our lives. But, but here's the first thing about revival. In order for there first to be revival, we have to be willing to admit when something is dead. And in the church, we have a hard time admitting when anything is dead. We come to church and we put our smiley faces on and we look our best and we speak our Christianese and nothing's ever wrong with us. And then we wonder why we have no revival in our lives. Well, if nothing's ever dead, we can never have revival. In order to have revival, we have to get to this place where we admit, yo, there's something wrong here. This is, this is dead, and this needs to be brought back to life. Can I make it very personal, Lighthouse Church? Sometimes our marriages are dead, and we carry on as if they're not. And God desperately wants to bring revival into your marriage, but he can't because you won't even admit that it's dead. Sometimes God wants to bring a revival into relationships between your family members or your children, and he can't because you won't admit that this thing is dead. Or other times you've gone through trauma, hurt, abuse, neglect, and there are things in you that never came to life, and you still deal with, with, with uh, trust issues and, and insecurity because you never addressed the things that are dead in your life and allowed God to bring it to life. That is revival. 
So, so how do we know, Pastor Josh, how do we know when something is dead? Well, there's only one way to know. You got to go see what something alive is. And something alive is really someone who is alive, and that person who is alive is Jesus. You see, the closer you get to Jesus, you see a person that conquered death, therefore he is alive and will always be alive. And when you see what life is, then you can identify the areas of your life that are dead because you contrast it to that which is alive. And so this is why at the beginning of the year, we lean into prayer and fasting. And what I'm hoping what God is going to do for some of you in this season of prayer and fasting is reveal to you the areas of your life that are not alive so that he can come and breathe life into it. Are you tracking with me so far, Lighthouse Church? How many of y'all want God to bring to life some dead things that are in your life? Yeah, how many, how, many, how many want to know what's dead in your life, though? Because, again, we, we, we got to get there. We got to get to this place where we say, okay, okay, th- this, this is not alive. And, and, and I've, I've been fronting like it's alive. I, I've, been, I've been putting on my best face like it's alive. But it's not alive. This thing hasn't been alive in 10 years. This thing hasn't been alive in, in, in a long time. And so we go to God, and he begins to show us that which is alive. I'm sorry, that which is dead so that he can come and bring life. Now, let me take you back to our text. Let's go back to Mark. Here in Mark, we get the story of a father whose child is not alive. You see, this father knew who this child was. And every parent in this room, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. This father knew that this, this kid was not his child. Like, like the, this, this child that was there, this kid that was there with him is now possessed with a suicidal spirit, and he knows this is not my child. Something has taken possession of my son, but this is not my son. This is not the son that I held in my arms. This is not the son that I taught how to walk. This is not the son that I taught to throw a ball. This is not the son that I rolled around and played with. No, this child, this kid here, this, this is not my son, and he's desperate for an answer. He's hungry for a solution. So against all odds, and because he won't quit on his son, because he loves his son, he goes looking for Jesus, but Jesus isn't around. So what he does have is the other nine. So he goes to the other nine and he's like, listen, I don't know where Jesus is, but my son needs a miracle. And the Bible says that the nine got to work trying to cast out the demon from this boy. Now they'd seen Jesus do it. They had a frame of reference. They've watched him do it, so they get to work. You know, they're doing what they know to do. They're saying what they know to say. Uh, they're, they're singing the songs. They're laying hands. They're, they're like, did Jesus tilt his head this way or was it more this way? Like, how, how, how exactly does he do it? You know, and they're, they're doing the best they can, but nothing's working. And when this thing's all falling apart, then come the critics. The Bible says the teachers of religious law or the Pharisees show up. Isn't it weird how the Pharisees always were looking for the right moment to walk on in? So here come the critics. And the critics will find you. That's just a life lesson right there. Don't be worried about the critics because the critics, they're just always there. And, and so here come the critics, and they're like, man, y'all ain't got no authority. You guys are frauds. And, and, and they're questioning them. And they're like, look at you. You guys are a bunch of posers. You, you guys don't have power. And they're probably even taking jabs at Jesus because Jesus isn't there. But then the Bible says Jesus shows up and all of a sudden there's like a holy hush. Everyone's like, shh, shh, shh. Here comes Jesus. They're just going to wait. So Jesus shows up and he asks, what's going on? And, and I read to you the end of the story. Jesus does what only Jesus can do. But at the very end of the story, the very end of the story, he uses, at a mom- he uses it as a moment to teach to the crowd that is there, but also to the millions of readers who would follow. You see, the Bible was not written to us, but it was written for us. 
It was not written to us, but it was written for us. So everything in the Bible is not an accident. There's nothing in the Bible that's an accident. It is all there with great intent. And so Jesus says, no, 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 this kind of spirit, this spirit comes out by prayer and fasting. You see, prayer and fasting are the seeds of revival. Revival is to bring from death to life. And this, there was a suicidal spirit on this boy. And Jesus said, the only way you're going to go from death to life is prayer and fasting. So that's what I want to talk to you about. Prayer and fasting are the seeds of revival. Let's dive into prayer first. I love this verse in 2 Chronicles, and it's a great descriptor of prayer. And I think there's three applications that we can take from it. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14 says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The writer of Chronicles is giving us a great essence of prayer. There's an ethos here. There's three things about prayer that we can pick from, and I, and I want to give it to you as we enter into a season of prayer and fasting. Number one, prayer is an act of humility. Prayer is an act of humility. Humility. The writer says you must humble yourself and pray. We're living in a culture where people are grinding. You ever met someone that's on their grind? We're living in a culture where people have a hustle and a side hustle and a side hustle for that one too. Like people are really trying to do what we got to do. And I get it. I respect the hustle and I respect the grind. But we're living in a day and age where more and more people are wanting to do it through their own efforts and not turn to God. More and more, more and more people are praying not as a first resort, but as a last resort. You ever heard when people say, well, if you've tried everything and it doesn't work, try Jesus. Church, let me tell you, the first thing you should do is try Jesus. The first person you should run to is Jesus. The first thing you should do is pray first. That's, that's why we gave you giving these wristbands. Pray first. That really ought to be your first posture. But more and more, the culture is going in a different direction. The culture is trying to tell you that you don't need God, that you can do it all by yourself. Stay on your grind. You can hustle your way to the top. Hard work, hungry, hustle. And, 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 and listen, I'm not knocking hard work. And I'm not knocking a good work ethic. What I am knocking is the spirit of this age that is telling you, you don't need Jesus. And it's getting louder and louder and louder. And people are getting vocal and more vocal about it. And the church has to retain a posture that Jesus is not some of what we do. He is the reason we are here today. It is in him that we live, we move, we breathe, and we have our very being. And, and, and it takes us to humble ourselves to say, you know what, I don't have all of the answers. You know what, I, I, I don't have all the solutions. You know what, I, m maybe I'm educated, but I, I ain't that educated. And, and uh, I know a lot, but I don't know everything. And so praying and praying first really is a posture of humility that says, I will go to God before I go anywhere else. And for those of you that are reading the Bible together with us, we read this in our Bible reading this week, Luke 14, 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all of those who humble themselves will be exalted. And, and I love that passage of scripture right there because it is telling me that, that when I don't know what to do, it is telling me when I am facing 
big opposition, when I am going through a test, when I am going through a struggle, when I am going through hardship, that's not the time for me to be proud. That's not the time for me to be prideful. That's not the time for me to go to everywhere but God. That's the time for me to lean in, go into prayer, go find a prayer closet, and go have a conversation with my creator and say, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the solution is. I don't know where to go, and I don't know where to turn. But you know what? You know, so I'm going to you. I'm going to pray first. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek your will for my life, and I'm going to humble myself and say, you know what? I don't got it all figured out, but I know that you do, and so I'm coming to you, God, first. (laughs) Prayer is a posture of humility, and when we humble ourselves before God, he will begin to exalt you. Number two, the second thing about prayer is prayer teaches us to seek his face. The scripture says, if you humble yourself and pray and seek his face, everybody say, seek his face. What does it mean to seek his face? That's kind of interesting language. Well, let me contrast it. Let me contrast it in one way that's going to make the point for you. So many people only go to God in prayer for stuff that they need, things that they want. Doors that they want open. We, we go to God very transactionally. He, he is my genie in the sky. I have a need, so I go to him. Now, listen, we call that seeking his hands. Seeking his hands. It's what he can do for me. He, he can open up a door. He can provide employment, get me a raise, heal my marriage, heal my family. And listen, I'm not saying not to do that. I'm not going to do that. that. That's because scripturally we know that we are to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. That's what the Bible says. But if that's the only reason you go to God, when you need something from him, you are missing out on the greater aspect of prayer. And seeking his face means, God, in this moment, I don't need anything, but what I do need is you. I just want your presence. I, I don't need a thing right now. I just need you. The, the raise is nice, but I need you more. I like a new car, but I need you more. I'd love for you to fix this, but I need you more. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, right? So I don't need things. What I really need is you. What I really need is time in your presence. What I really need is to be alone with you. That's what it means to seek his face. That's what it means to seek his face when, when it's not about the stuff, when it's about him, when, it, when it's about devotion to him, love for him, and that you are praying just to be with him. There's, there's a certain maturity that happens in the life of a believer when you can sit with Jesus and not want anything from him. We're all the parents in the room. How many of you love it when your kids want to sit with you and they don't want nothing back? Sometimes my kids come up, Daddy. I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? But sometimes, it's typically my baby. This is why he's my baby. But he'll, he'll come and he goes, nothing, Daddy. I just want to cuddle. I'm like, oh, man, I love it. I love it. He still wants to just hang out with me. I love it. I love it. But, but think about that. Now, how much more with our heavenly father when we go to him and we say, I don't, I don't need anything. I just need you. I just want to be here in your presence. I just want to be alone with you. Because, you know, I've been with my coworkers and they crazy. <laughs> Sick of them. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go a little deeper. My wife's acting crazy, so I just want to be with you. Okay, that's enough right now. <laughs> but, but when you just want to be with him, when you just want to be alone, that, that's what it means to seek his face. When, when you, don't need, you don't need anything. I just, I just need you. I just need you. And, and, I, and I wrote this down. I want to give it to you. Prayer that brings about revival is not a prayer for things, but prayer for his presence. 
we're not going to get to revival when all we're doing is prioritizing the stuff that we need. I need this. I need this. I need this. I mean, making. A, I mean, Christmas is over. We're still over here with our wish lists. You know what I mean? It's like just, uh, just keep it coming. Keep it coming. And again, I'm not knocking that, but at some point, at some point, you've got to get to this place where you want God for God, not for what he can give you. And, and, and the prayer that's going to bring about a revival in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in this church is a prayer for nothing more than his presence. God, I just want you. I just need you. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my home. I need you in my car when I'm driving to work. I need you especially when I get to work. God, I just need your presence. I love, I love how the Bible talks about Moses and he was this person that sought the face of God. As a matter of fact, he so sought the face of God that one time God said, you keep asking me for stuff that's eventually going to kill you. Because he would say, God, show me all of your glory. And, and, and God had to tell Moses, I can't, you'll die. <laughs> like, like nobody can look at my glory and live. It's just too much exactly. But there was this time when they were wandering in the wilderness and God said to Moses, he said, Moses, you and Israel, make your way over there. And Moses like, not if you don't go with us. We will not leave this place unless you go with us. When's the last time we told God, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me? Many of us are happy to leave him behind. Moses said, I ain't going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here in my bed until I know you're going with me. And that's how hungry Moses was for his presence. And so those are the two things, prayer is humility. Prayer, um, prayer brings us to seeking his face. And here's the third one here. Prayer brings us to a lifestyle of repentance. A lifestyle of repentance. And here's another thing you need to unlearn about repentance. Repentance isn't, a lifestyle of repentance isn't a one-time moment at an altar where you ask God to forgive you of your sins as you now run to him and, and you abandon your former life. That, 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 ain't, that is not all of it. But, but what we must do and what is most important is that as God forgives us of those things that hold us back, that we don't return to those things. That it's a lifestyle of repentance when we don't come back to those things. Now, the Bible has some strong language. I'm going to quote the Bible. This is not Pastor Josh. Don't get mad at me and don't give me a bad Yelp review, okay? But the Bible says when you do that, you're like a dog returning to its own vomit. I didn't say that. The Bible did, okay? Just clarifying. But that's the descriptor of the Bible. When you live a repentant lifestyle, you're not going back to the thing that God brought you out of. When, when you are constantly in prayer, those things that used to attract you, they no longer attract you. They, they just never, no longer hold you bound. It's, you know, I've, I, I've, I've been around some folks, and, and um, you know, they'll, they'll tell me, Pastor, like, like, man, I received Christ, but there's this one thing, Pastor Josh. You know, they get all fidgety about it. This is one thing, Pastor Josh. I'm still doing this, Pastor. You know, pray for me. And I'm like, bro, you need to pray for yourself. Like, like, no, it's time for you to pray. I did pray for you. We did that in church. But now you have got to press into the presence of Jesus because the more you are in his presence, the less you're going to want to be there. The more you are with the thing that is alive, you're not going to want to go to the things that bring you death. The more you are with the person who is alive, the less you're going to want to play in the cemetery with dead things. But, but you, you've got to press in. And so prayer brings us to this place where the things that used to hold us back no longer hold us back. And that's my segue into fasting. Now, everybody say fasting. Because living a repentant lifestyle and fasting go hand in hand together. I gave you this definition earlier. I'm going to give it to you one more time. Write this down. Fasting is not, eating is not eating food for a spiritual purpose. 
Okay? If it's not a spiritual purpose, you're on a diet. And that's good. And diets are good. But, but, but don't call it a fast if it's not for a spiritual purpose. And, and we're, we're not going into Daniel's diet. We're going into Daniel fast. We're going into a Jewish fast. We're going into a soul fast. We're not going into 21 days of prayer and dieting. We're going into 21 days of prayer and fasting. Are you tracking with me, Lighthouse Church? It's only devotion if it's for a spiritual purpose. It's only devotion when there is intent behind that that says, I'm turning to God during this period of time. I'm running to him during this period of time. Now, now I need to teach on this because so many times people are like, fasting really, Pastor Josh? Is that like, is that really necessary? I mean, is it, is it something we have to do? Let me read you this quote by Pastor John Tyson. He's He's uh, I got a man crush on John Tyson right now. He's he's a he's phenomenal book writer. It's a joke, okay? It's a, he's a phenomenal writer and speaker, and I've just been binging on John Tyson right now. But he wrote this. He said, "Fasting is designed to shift our focus from our bodies to our spirits, and from our flesh to our Father." You guys, track with me. Fasting is designed to shift our focus from our bodies to our spirits. Here's the deal. So many of us let our bodies control our lives. It's like, I just don't feel like it. I feel hungry. I mean, I feel this. I feel that. I feel you cannot let your feelings drive you. No one, I mean, for, all, for everyone that, you know, has been on vacation, you got to go to work tomorrow. None of you is going to feel like going to work tomorrow morning, but you get up and you go anyway, right? Because try to get that paycheck, right? So we, we don't allow our feelings to drive us. And yet, the reason fasting is so important and the reason we have to return to this is a spiritual discipline. I know it ain't sexy to talk about fasting, but it's necessary. People are like, he said the F word. He said fasting. And it's like, no, no, it's necessary because we just give in to whatever we feel. We give in to whatever we want. We give in. It's, it's how I'm feeling the moment. If I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do it, Pastor. But, but, but fasting is the discipline to bring our body into subjection. And we tell our body, no, we don't make decisions based on what we feel. We make decisions based on the spirit and the values of our life, regardless of how we feel. But, but we, we, we make decisions based on our relationship with Christ. He is our creator, our savior, our spiritual man. The desires of our spirit should be greater than the desires of our flesh, and the values should be driving our life, not what our body wants. Let me play it out for you. Let me play it out for you because some of you are looking at me suspect, okay? Let me play it out for you. Say you were hungry. Say, yeah, I'm hungry. I'm craving an almond croissant. Well, let me give you a recommendation. Go to Panic Inn on Incendius. They have the best almond croissants that I found in San Diego, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. When you're like, I'm hungry, I want an almond croissant, then go eat an almond croissant. It's, it's nothing bad when you just like pursue it that way where it's like, I'm hungry, I want to eat. Okay, but let's play that out. If it feels good to watch a show, even though it conflicts with your values as a follower of Jesus, should you watch it? Oh, but Pastor, I feel good when I watch it. So just, you know, I just feel good. I'm like, but you do realize what you're watching, right? Yeah, but I feel good. Okay, well, let me take it a little step further. Maybe it feels good to flirt with that person who's not your spouse. Oh, we're not going to do anything, Pastor. It just feels good. It feels good. Oh, so you just do what you feel? Yeah, it feels good. Or how about this? It feels good to watch this show that objectifies women. Why can't I give in to this pleasure? And so our flesh is constantly wanting to do things that when left unchecked, when, when you just let your flesh run rampant and do whatever it wants to, eventually, when you're constantly saying yes to your flesh, you're going to start saying yes to some things that are contrary to the word of God. 
And so the Bible teaches us this discipline of fasting. It teaches us, now we're gonna, we're gonna teach you how to overcome your flesh. We're, we're gonna teach you to let your spirit be greater than your flesh. And we're gonna do that through fasting. This is a discipline that we're gonna take you on to do that. And I like the way Paul put it. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He says, I discipline my body and I subjugate it, lest somehow after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul understood that when he would fast and he would go into devotion like an athlete in training, he was teaching his body, you're not in charge. My spirit's in charge, not my flesh. I, I don't say yes to my flesh. I say yes to my spirit. And, and, and so fasting is the way that we begin to tell our body, you're not in charge. I, I know you're hungry, but you can skip a meal. <laughs> I know you're hungry, but you can have this Daniel fast approved meal. I, I know you want to do this. But what we're doing is we're bringing our body into discipline, and I'm coming to a close now. And and, and lest you think, man, this is a little strange, Pastor Josh. Let me just show you some biblical examples of what happened when people let their stomach make a decision and not their spirit. Let's start with Adam and Eve. How about that for starters? <laughs> Eve got hungry. And so the enemy tempted her in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. And Eve saw the fruit. And the Bible said it was good to eat. She's like, that looks good. I'm going to have some. That was the one tree. That was the one, the only tree in the garden that God said don't eat from. But because she, she couldn't bring her body into subjection, she let her body tell her, I'm going to eat the fruit of the tree. Now, we, we all got blasted as a result. <laughs> That's called the fall of humanity. It's not an isolated incident. You guys remember the story of Esau and Jacob, the twin brothers? Esau and Jacob born just minutes with each other well Esau was the older brother only because he came out first right like it's one two and so Esau got the birthright which means he got daddy's inheritance and uh his brother Jacob I mean he felt a certain way about that he's like man this guy beat me by a minute and he gets all the money and the Bible says one day Esau was like hey Jacob I'm hungry could you make me some food and Jacob sees the moment he goes yeah I'll make you some food but I want the birthright what he was saying is I'll make you soup, but you got to give me daddy's inheritance. Do you want to know what Esau said? Yes. Why? Stomach was in charge. He, he couldn't bring his flesh into subjection. He gave away his inheritance for a bowl of lentil soup. All right, I got one more for you. You guys remember when Israel was in the wilderness? They had been in slavery for 400 years, and now they're in the wilderness. And and, and they have escaped the burden of slavery. They, they were burdened with building pyramids in Egypt. They, they were slaves. They were living under abuse. And when they were freed from that and when they were in the wilderness and God is now feeding them through manna every day, they got picky. And they went to Moses to complain. said, Moses, when we lived in Egypt, we had quail. You know, Moses... When we were in Egypt, we had steaks. I think it'd be better for us to just go on back to Egypt and have whatever we want to eat again. They forgot that they were slaves. And the Bible says at that moment, God almost killed them all. I'm not lying. It is in the Bible. At that moment, God's like, I'm going to kill them. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to kill them all. The Bible said Moses had to get up on a mountain and pray and intercede until he changed God's mind. It's in the Bible. So you, do you see how our stomachs can get the best of us? And, and, and this is why I believe the Bible leads us to this spiritual discipline of fasting. 
because we began to tell our flesh, we're not going to make the same mistakes that Israel made. They almost got killed because they wanted to go back to slavery. We're not going to make the same mistakes that Esau made. He sold his, bo- his birthright for a bowl of soup. I'm not going to make the same mistake that Eve made. She, con- she, she did the one thing God said not to do because she couldn't control her appetite. That's why God calls us into a fast. He knows if he can get you to start fasting for spiritual purposes, you're beginning to bring your body into subjection. And that way, if you can bring that into subjection, when that lady comes into the office that ain't your wife, you're no longer tempted because you learned to bring your body into subjection. The next time someone's trying to have you to take a hit of something or to have you to take a drink of something, the next time your friends are trying to go somewhere because you've learned to bring your body into subjection, you're not going to give in to what feels good because you've learned a long time ago. I don't give in to what feels good. I give in to what my spirit is saying. So God tests you in the fasting. He tests you there. And I love, and I, I love how when you read the Bible and you read the story of Jesus and how Jesus began his ministry, the Bible says Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry here on earth. And I'll close with this story. The Bible says that Jesus went down to the Jordan River to be baptized by his cousin, John. And when he gets to where John is, he's baptized of him. It's a supernatural event. There's like the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, the voice of the Father speaking over his son, saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's a beautiful moment. Right there, Jesus had all the affirmation he needed to go and begin his ministry, right? God spoke, Holy Spirit descended. He, he could go and start preaching in synagogues, raising the dead, casting out bad spirits, making the blind to see, the deaf to hear. But that's not what he did. No, 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 no. Even though he had already been affirmed by his father, even though he had already been anointed by the Holy Spirit, the first thing Jesus did was go to the wilderness to do what? Pray and fast. Jesus went to pray and to fast. He had already been affirmed. God had already spoken over his life. And yet he knew, if I am going to begin my ministry here on earth, it has to be done through a season of prayer and fasting. So listen to me, Lighthouse Church. If Jesus needed to begin his ministry with prayer and fasting, how much more should we lean in to seasons of devotion? How much more should we lean in to seasons of prayer and fasting? How much more should we say, God, I'm believing 2023 to be an incredible year. Man, I've got goals for my family. I've got a vision board. I'm ready, God. But before I go, I'm going to start by prayer and fasting. But before I hit the ground running, I'm going to give you the first part of my year. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast for 21 days because I want to do what you did. I want to be alone with you. I want to be in your presence for no other reason but to be in your presence. I want to spend time with you. And I believe in those moments, I'll receive from you something far greater than what I can experience in just a moment. I'm going to be in a season of your presence. And Lighthouse, that's my desire for you as we begin these 21 days of prayer and fasting. My desire for you is that every single one of you would join us. Every single one of you would find a way to participate in this. But let's lean in for the next 21 days. If you want an extraordinary year, sometimes you got to do extraordinary things. Some of you are like tired because your life has felt like a rat race. And then you'll listen to me like, that pastor's crazy. I ain't fasting for 21 days. Well, keep on doing the same thing and seeing the same results because that's the definition of insanity. 
But if you know, I need things to shift in my life. I, I, I don't want 2023 to be a repeat of 2022. Then I invite you into a season of prayer and fasting and watch what God does in and through your life. Let me pray over you. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, for every person that is here. And I thank you, God, for how you've already moved in our service. Father, I just pray right now that you would just begin to speak to every person in this room. As we prayed at the outset of our sermon, though I speak corporately, you speak individually. And while I presented, Father, your word to everyone today, only your spirit can convict and bring about transformation. So I pray that that happen right now. I pray that you start to speak to everyone, begin to speak to them what you are calling them into for the next 21 days. Begin to speak over them what devotion you are leading them into. Begin to show them the areas of their life that are, that are dead and in need of a revival. Begin to highlight the areas of their life that you will touch if they will sow seeds of prayer and fasting. Show to them the areas of their life that you will bring to life if they will sow seeds of fasting and prayer. Would you do that now, Father, as we just stay here in your presence for a moment? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We want more of you. We need more of you. We want to see a change, and we want to see revival. Would you do it this year, Father? Would you do it in us? Would you do it in our marriages? Would you do it in our homes? Would you do it in our students? Would you do it in our young adults? Every single connect group, all of the teams. God, we need you. We need you, Father. And the last thing I'm going to do is, if you're going to join us on this fast, if you're going to commit to joining us on this fast in the next 21 days, I want to commission you in a way. I want to pray for you and just pray that God's going to strengthen you, that God's going to give you the, the grace, the endurance to run. And if you're joining us on this fast, would you come on up to this altar? Let's all stand to our feet. And this is the way we're going to close. The worship team is going to lead us in worship. And if you want to join us in this time of prayer and fasting, come on up here. I just want to pray for you. It's a bit of a commissioning as we start the year. I just want to bless you as you start this endeavor for the next three weeks. There'll probably be some attacks that'll come your way. You're going to feel some pressure to not do this. You're going to feel some opposition as you try to do this. But I'm going to pray a prayer over you that Jesus prayed over Peter. I'm just going to pray that the attacks of the enemy don't sift you. They don't harm you. They don't move you. That you would be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the word of God. So right there where you're at, just begin to pray, have a conversation with your father, and begin to tell him, God, for the next 21 days, I will give you my worship. I will give you my devotion. I'm going to commit to praying first. I'm going to commit to abstaining for foods for a spiritual purpose. I commit for the next 21 days to make you my devotion, to make you my goal, to make you my prize. I don't need anything, but I just need you. I just need your spirit. I just need your presence in my life. Would you come, Father, and fill every space? Would you come, Father, and fill every place? In Jesus' name. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.